0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Ezie Jenican. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. So
1: uh, we just ate a Nutella pizza. I didn't have my Nutella. I'm saving it for after. Since I have to speak a lot. (laughs)
0: Okay. (laughs) You don't want to get a Nutella throat. Yeah. Is that a thing? Is that a thing? I don't know. I just made it up. I probably would get it, whatever it is. Desi would contract that. I'd be like, and people would write me mean reviews. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, let's thank uh, the people that are very nice. Yes. And those are our listeners and our Patreon contributors. So this week we had Dominic, Shelby, Dave, Layla, Lassus, Peyton, Bill, Christy, Nadia, and Carla. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yeah. This week we're going to do, I think people have kind of asked
1: for this one a few times. It's a pretty popular celebrity murder, uh, and that is the murder of soul singer Sam Cooke. Okay. Okay. So, and it actually happened in Los Angeles too. So it's two crimes. One. It's double Hollywood. It's double Hollywood. Sam Cook was born in Clarksdale, Mississippi, and he was one of eight children born to Reverend Charles and Annie Cook. The family actually moved to Chicago in 1933. So I think Sam was born in 1931. So he's only a few years old when they left Mississippi. But the Reverend had that typical like Southern kind of fiery preacher thing going. And that was a pretty big hit in Chicago. So he started attracting like quite a following once they moved up to Chicago. And that was where Sam actually first started singing. He sang with his family and his siblings and the dad kind of led it. The band was called the Reverend Cook and his singing children. (laughs) Not not very creative, but I guess kind of like that's what it was.
0: I mean, Uh, I feel like a lot of singers have gotten their start in the church. Right.
1: Sam kind of started off singing backup, uh, against or behind his siblings, who I guess were the leads, but it soon became obvious to everyone who would see them perform that the kid in the back was sort of like, who's that guy? Yeah. Who's Sam? Who's Sammy? (laughs) A little fun fact. He eventually ended up going to Wendell Phillips high school, which is where Nat King Cole had gone a few years before him. So that school obviously has- Churning out the hits. Churning out some talented kids. And Nat King Cole, by the way, I find very attractive. Oh. He's hot. (laughs) Yeah, he's cute. He has has that style that I really like, just like the fashion-wise. Yeah. It's very laid back. Uh, I find him very attractive. Anyway, Sam Cooke's also very attractive. So at the age of fourteen, Sam kind of struck out on his own, and he formed a gospel quintet called the Highway QCs. It was sort of in that period time period where he met another fellow gospel he met a fellow gospel singer named Lou Rawls. Oh, who, I know Lou Rawls. Yeah, I mean, so this town is like, what the hell? <laughs> and they actually have a really one of my favorite songs. By Sam Cooke is "Bring It On Home," and he oh, sings yeah. that with Lou Rawls. Uh, it's a great song. He eventually goes into this band that that the uh, Highway QC's covered. This band is called the Soul Stirrers. So I guess they were like a more popular gospel band. Like like we, I've never heard of them, but I guess it was like the one to get into at the time, right? And they were in Texas. They had a lead singer named R. H. Harris. And Sam was able to mimic Harris's vocal mannerisms. So when they needed a replacement for this guy in 1956, they went to Sam because Sam kind of had made this reputation as like, I can imitate him. He, you know, that's how good he was at imitating him. This band kind of played on what was called the Chitlin circuit, black bands that played for black people. They weren't playing at white clubs. Like some black musicians of the day, usually at some point would get to like the white clubs. This was like black music for black, audience. Okay. Which is important. I'm bringing that up because Sam wanted to get out of that and become a crossover performer, um, which he had to kind of leave gospel and start doing more pop music. So this band actually got started, uh, or sorry, got signed with specialty records, which was a gospel label label, but they had little Richard on their label. And obviously he is a crossover artist in a major way. So Sam was kind of like, trying to use that to kind of branch into to pop music or soul pop soul music. He even though he was in gospel, he was known for his sex appeal. Like he brought the fucking <laughs> swag to gospel music. In fact, he was so sexy that a lot of young audience members started coming to his shows. Like for Sam Cook. So it's like all these horny girls at this gospel, they're like singing songs like about Jesus. That's hot. And the girls I know, I was like, this is so fucking hot. Like he is not stirring their souls. He is stirring their loins. Like these girls (laughs) are horny for him at a gospel show, which I fucking love because it's like, you gotta be horny if you're also Christian, probably. (laughs) Like in that era, like repressed Christian like horniness is probably very you know what? Gospel music is great. So, like I said before, he really wants to move on. He wants to be Nat King Cole, Little Richard, and the Ink Spots. Like, those are his sort of big bands. And he didn't want to be what he called a race act. He recorded his first pop single, Lovable, which is actually like a pop version of an old gospel song. And he took on the alias of Dale Cook in order to not alienate that gospel fan. Like, he did that initially. He kind of really dipped his toe he does also add an e to the end of his name his name and originally oh. doesn't have the e but he added that to be more classy which i don't know
0: why okay cook see <laughs> like the extra how the e is for extra p like how- <laughs> remember that commercial oh my god <laughs> it's, like- <laughs> it's like i was just thinking like how they put an e on the end of like yield shoppy
1: yeah i mean i guess it's kind of fancier in a way it's, it's like just- a silent e like we don't need it we're rich <laughs> that e we,
0: we just can have it, it. <laughs>
1: um so obviously that doesn't work because everyone knows it's sam cook singing this song because he's right. such a distinct voice he ends up quitting the soul stirs and he's seeking out a label to sign with and that's when he gets signed with bob keen at a at his new label keen records and it was here that he released um a single of summertime the gershwin uh song from porgy and best On the flip side of Summertime was a song called You Send Me, which you probably know is his first big hit. Like people started listening to the B side of this record and were like, hey, (laughs) fuck Porgy and Bess. Like what's this shit? I mean- And You Send Me is a classic song. Everyone knows it. If you don't recognize the title, if you heard it, you would know. You've
0: heard it at weddings. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 everywhere.
1: It's a classic. You send me spent six weeks at number one on the billboard R&B chart and three weeks at number one on the billboard pop chart. So he's pretty much instantly a star. He went on the Dick Clark show at some point and Dick Clark asked him, why did you leave gospel? And uh, Sam (laughs) responded for financial reasons. Good for him. (laughs) So, and he had big plans. He didn't want to just be a pop star. He wanted to be like a Barry Gordy, like have his own label and be a music industry executive. So he had pretty big goals financially. After that song hit, he kept having more hits. He never got another number one on the pop charts, but he had number two, Chain Gang, which is a very popular song, Twisting the Night Away, Another Saturday Night. I mean, he has a lot of hits. A lot. (laughs) So... At at this point, he signs with RCA Victor, and he received at the time an unheard amount of a $100,000 bonus. He's a really big star. He was granted control over his recordings, which was another sort of big deal at the time because a lot of record companies... I mean, the record business at this time is super fucking shady. We got into it a bit with Phil Spector, I guess. Yeah. He started his own label at this time called SAR Records, where he signed Lou Rawls, Bobby Womack, uh, and the Valentinos. He also had a music publishing company and a management firm. Uh, This was all focused on sort of soul music, which was his specialty. And he was actually called the father of soul. So it was all this music that blended his gospel background with pop kind of inspired soul music. Uh, And it had all the sex appeal that everyone was like horny for at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Especially me, apparently. I'm very (laughs) horny tonight. He sold over 10 million records, which is like insane. So he's at the height of his career in 1963, 64. At this point, he also becomes very involved with the civil rights movement. And his song, A Change is Gonna Come, is like an anthem of that era. So the song was becoming a real anthem for people who were protesting at the time. For all of his good qualities, Sam is definitely a fucking... Womanizer. Like he is hardcore fucking everything. (laughs) He gets married at some point to a woman named Dee Dee. She was a singer from Texas and she left him because he was cheating so much on her. Yeah. And that was right about when You Send Me hit the charts. Then he married a woman named Barbara Campbell, who he already had three kids with by the time they got married. By 1964, Cook and his wife Barbara were starting to live separately because uh, numerous things. They were both fucking crazy and both sort of rumored to be cheating. Like she was also rumored to be cheating on him. Uh, in 1963, their youngest son drowned in the family pool. Oh my God. And obviously that's a horrible tragedy, but they did not handle it well. Cook blamed him. Cook blamed his wife, Barbara, but then he also had a ton of guilt because he was working so much. Yeah. He wasn't there.
0: So I mean, that's not uncommon either to have people have the death of a child break up a marriage. Especially when the marriage is already sort of rocky. Yeah. So it's
1: like the last thing. By the way, Cook at this time also has three other children out of wedlock with three different women. Oh, wow. So he's got a lot of kids. Now, as I said before, the music industry at this time was a real cesspool. (laughs) And um, that was part of the reason the gospel scene kind of always encouraged their stars not to go into the pop. It was like, stay with us. Like, you won't be as big, but we're gonna treat you right, and da 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 da. So that was kind of another thing that they were actually protective of their stars from going into the pop music world. And a lot of people considered what happened to Sam as sort of a payback for selling his soul. Whoa. And some people even prophesied that he would die in a tragic way when he left the gospel music industry. On December 10th, 1964, Sam is going out on the town. He stops by his friend Lou Rawls' house to visit Lou, who had just had a newborn baby. And the minute Sam gets there, this baby is crying nonstop, which is not unusual. Uh, Rawls said that Cook picked up the baby and said, What's wrong, man? But the baby kept on crying. Rawls also said at the, after the fact that his German shepherd, who was always like in the baby's room he he like left when sam came as if he knew something was wrong so the dogs according to lou rawls was acting suspicious look animals know rawls mother later said that they her family and they believe that babies and animals have a sense when someone's about to die or a tragedy is about I, to happen. like i just said yeah that,
0: that's like the dog knows when the earthquakes come right out. or like whenever my cat's ears perk up i'm like oh shit <laughs> What's about to happen? Do you ever just catch your cat like staring at something really intently that's not there and you're like, what do you see? Yeah. What is that?
1: My cats creep me out more than any other thing. I swear to God they see ghosts or something. Right. Raul said that when Cook left, his son was still crying. Like he couldn't calm his baby down. And I guess they were supposed to meet up at this club called PJ's, but Lou just sort of bailed and was like, my son's sick. I'm staying home. Have fun. So Sam ends up, before he goes to PJ's, he stops at Martoni's Italian restaurant. And of course, the minute he walks in, he's just the center of attention. He's Sam Cook. He's there to meet Al Schmidt, who is a producer, and, and Schmidt's wife, who is named Joan. He, I mean, the reason he sort of was so recognizable, at the time he had a, a hit record called Live at the Copa, and he was... You know, even though he was a big star, he was really kind of next leveling soon to be like a Nat King Cole or a Sammy Davis Jr. So he's at the dinner with this couple and people are just stopping by the table, interrupting their conversation. He has about three or four martinis while he's sitting at the table with this this couple. And he at some point gets pulled away to the bar. So the, the couple he's with food comes and Sam's just at the bar, laughing it up, drunk as shit, talking to people he knows from the industry who happen to be at this restaurant. He's buying everyone drinks. He's flashing all of his wad of money. Like he sort of, the rumor is that he always carried $2,000 with him. So he has a fat fucking wad and like a money clip, right? He instructs his friend to go ahead and eat without out him. And it's at this moment that he's back at this back bar of the restaurant. He sees a booth that has a 22 year old woman there sitting with three other guys. So he's like immediately like, who's this, (laughs) who's this lady? And he like catches her eye. He had seen her around. He knew one of the guys talking to her and uh, they kind of introduced each other. Her name is Elisa Boyer. And before long, Sam and Elisa are like cozying up in their own booth. So around 1 a.m., uh, Sam and Elisa leave Martoni's in his brand new red Ferrari and they head over to the nightclub that was called PJ's. The Schmidt's the were supposed to already be there, but Sam and Elisa kind of were hooking up so hard in the booth that they got there really late and the couple had already left. In the club, Sam actually got into a huge argument with a guy who he thought was hitting on Elisa. He's shit-faced drunk at this point, by the right, way, right. If, you, if you haven't guessed. According to Elisa, She said, we had a little incident at PJ's. We were sitting at the entrance and some people came over and Mr. Cook started talking with them. I was just sitting there when a gentleman sat next to me and started talking to me and Mr. Cook got quite angry and wanted to hit the man. That's why we left. So she asked Sam, according to her, to take her home at this time. It's about 2 a.m. when they left PJ's. According to Elisa, Sam raced down Santa Monica and against her protests pulled onto the freeway. Supposedly he's driving really fucking fast and erratically and oh like this God. new sports car. They're driving all over LA like dude. So I think they were in the Valley where they started and mm-hmm. they're going to end up in South central. So they're driving all around LA. She's according to her continually asking him to take her home. But Sam says, according to her, don't worry now. I just want to go for a little ride. He strokes her hair and tells her how pretty she is. I always love, actually, let me take a sidestep here. When people are giving evidence about something that happened, and they're like, and then he said, I was like, really beautiful. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, how do you say that? We're like It just seems like you're like, and then he was like, wow, you're the most smart, beautiful girl I've ever known. That's what he said. I'm just saying what he said. Right. And it's like, now it's entered into evidence, bitch. <laughs> it's official, unbeautiful. It's official. They exit the highway, and I looked this address up, it's sort of like right across from LAX. Like if you go inland from LAX, it's like right lined up to LAX, but it's kind of close to Watts Tower. So it's like off the 105 and where the 110 and the 105 kind of meet, that's kind of LA, but it's very close to LAX.
0: Where was Martini's? Martini. Martini. I thought it was Martini's. Martoni's. 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 I think it was in the Valley. So. Oh my God. Yeah. They
1: drove a lot. Like so, but I guess that could just be down the four Oh five to the one Oh five when you're
0: drunk though, driving that fast around. I mean, I was going to say from the perspective of a former drunk person, well, at least when I was really drunk or really on some kind of substance, I love driving all over LA. I'm sure it was like, especially late, late at night, late at night when open. there's no traffic and you think you're a really great driver and really in control. Right. And then whoever is the terrified passenger. Oh,
1: I'm sure she was terrified cuz she yeah. probably
0: wasn't nearly as strong.
1: They exit the freeway and they go to a place called the Hacienda Motel. And the Hacienda Motel. It's not a <laughs> It's like a rent by the hour type deal. It's yes. a sleazy motel for sure despite the, the name, it does sound kind of fancy. The signs are really cool too. Like the old signs. I have so many good pictures by the way. So if you're not in our Facebook group, join the Facebook group or Or Instagram. Instagram. So we'll post those. So he gets out of the car, walks up to the glass partition where the manager is like, that's the type of thing where you're like talking through the little hole. Right. (laughs) That's the office manager is named Bertha Franklin. She kind of, like, gives him an eye. Uh, this is what I love, too. Even though this is clearly just a sex motel, they still have all these dated rules where she's like, you have to register as man and wife. Oh. So he registers as Mr. and Mrs. Sam Cook. Like, Whoa. he uses his real name, which will come into play a little bit later, like, when, uh, when some of the theories or controversies about it. So... He registers as that, like I said. They get back into his Ferrari and drive around the back of the mot- motel to where the room is because it's one of those outdoor whatever. A witness later says that uh, Elisa seemed hesitant about entering the room in a way that there was a little bit of resistance, but no fight that I could say that he he didn't drag her in.
0: She just seemed a little like, oh, should I even do this tonight? Well,
1: who knows if it's after the fact he's reading into something. But her testimony is that he dragged her from the car to the room. Oh, so this is in direct, you know, contrast to what she claims happened. So he, boy, um, Elisa says in her testimony, after the fact, I started talking very loudly. Please take me home. He turned the night latch, pushed me on the bed. He pinned me on the bed. He kept saying, we're just going to talk. He pulled my sweater off and ripped my dress. I knew he was going to rape me. Boye then Asked if she could go to the bathroom. She attempted to escape through the window. According to her, I had tried the window, but it was painted down and it just wouldn't unlock. So when she gets back to the room, she finally had a chance to possibly get away again. He walked out of the bath, or he walked into the bathroom. He had to go to the bathroom. So he leaves. I mean, this is another suspicious thing if, like, you're going to rape someone where you're like, okay, hold on a second. I have to go pee first. But he is very drunk. So he picks up. She picks up all of her clothes and her shoes and her handbag. She gets the door finally open and runs out of the hotel. Visit betterhelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel slash HCS. According to her, like when her like haste to kind of grab, gather all of her stuff, she also takes all of um, cook's shirts, pants and his underwear along with his wallet and other people assume the wad of cash that he was carrying with him all night. She's like kind of half undressed. She runs to the um office manager where Bertha Franklin holding is holding all of
0: his clothes. Holding all
1: of this shit. She pounds on the door. Bertha is at this moment on the phone talking to the owner of the property who is a woman named Evelyn Carr. She tells Evelyn Carr, wait a minute, and goes to the door. But by the time she goes to the door, Elisa is nowhere to be seen. Franklin gets back on the phone and continues her phone call. I love that this is the day where people are like, hold on a second. Right. (laughs) They're just like having this long ass chat in the middle of the (laughs) night. Okay. Um, Elisa knows that Cook is probably going to start looking for her soon, right? Well, especially
0: since she has all his clothes. Right.
1: So she doesn't wait around when Bertha doesn't open the door. She kind of just runs off. Sort of around the corner and up the street. It was there that she uh, found like a little place where she could put her clothes back on and she hides Sam's clothes under a stairwell. So then she goes to a nearby payphone and she calls the police. Her phone call was logged in at 3 08 a.m. This is what she said. She said, Will you please come down to this number? I don't know where I am. I'm kidnapped. At this point, Sam is in his Ferrari raging up to the office manager um, at the motel.
0: He got in his car to drive up to the
1: office. Right. He couldn't have walked?
0: Well, I'll tell you why, Rachel. He leaves the motor
1: running and he gets out of the driver's side door. He's wearing just a sports jacket, one shoe, and nothing else because she took all of his stuff. He had no clothes. Oh, wow. So he's walking around in a sports coat and one shoe. And that's it. That's it. No underwear. No underwear. That's it. Quite a look. Uh, He (laughs) bangs on the door and is yelling, is the girl in there? Franklin's still on the phone with Evelyn Carr, by the way, tells Cook that she doesn't know where Elisa is. She recounted her experience to the police this way. He just kept saying, where was the girl? I told him to get the police if he wanted to search my place. He said, damn the police and started working on the door with his shoulder. It wasn't long before he was in. When he walked in, he walked straight to the kitchen and then he came back and went into the bedroom. Then he came out. I was standing there on the floor and he grabbed both of my arms and started twisting them and asking me where was the girl. While all of this happening, Evelyn Carr is still on the line <laughs> of the phone. Like so, The phone's just like hanging down and she's hearing everything that's going on. Oh, wow. Bertha Franklin goes on to testify. He fell on top of me. I tried to bite him through that jacket, biting, scratching, and everything. Finally, I got up when I kicked him. I run and I grabbed the pistol off the TV and I shot at close range three times. Two of the bullets completely missed him, but the the third one passed through uh, Sam Cook's heart and right long. He fell back and then he yelled at Franklin, lady, you shot me. <gasps> Whoa. Yeah. Then he rose once more and charged at her, but she fought him off with hard blows uh, to the head and face with a broomstick. At that point, he slumps onto the floor near the doorway where he broke in. Uh, Evelyn Carr hung up the phone at that point and called the police at 3 15 AM. So this is very shortly after yeah. Elisa had called the police. She tells the police that, that Bertha, I think she shot him is what she says to them. So the police are now arrive on the scene. Like sirens are, you know, going off flashing lights everywhere. They find Sam cook dead. He died on the scene. Just minutes after the police discover him, Elisa walks up and she presents him th- herself to them as "I'm the woman he was attacking." The police inventory his belongings. They had a bottle of scotch in the Ferrari. He had a whisk- wristwatch, a money clip that only had hundred and eight dollars in it and loose change. Uh, he did have his driver's license in the window. Uh, I'm sorry, in the wallet, and credit cards were never found. So, a search of uh, Lisa's purse showed that she only had a twenty dollars bill. And, as I said before, Sam Cook was always known to have a large amount of cash on him. So this will become something that sort of makes people start thinking what happened here At six a m, Sam's widow now, Barbara, is sort of woken up with the news. Like news people are on her lawn, basically, you know, gathering at her house. So she's there with her young kids. Oh my it's God. kind of quite a scene. Questions about Elisa and Sam Cook and their relationship are ultimately decided by the cops investigating the scene that they don't they're not relevant re- relevant to what happened as far as the murder goes. Like it doesn't matter who they were to each right. other, if she was whatever. So they're really just looking into Franklin and whether she had the right to defend herself against this guy. An attorney was hired by the Cook family and they they were sort of more focused on what Boyer, or her last name is Boyer, Elisa Boyer, she did for a living. They really wanted to know, but the, the prosecutors were like, we don't care. We're not interested in the occupation of this yeah, girl. Yeah, why was it? Why would it matter? Right. Elisa Boyer, Bertha Franklin, Evelyn Carr, and other witnesses did recount their uh, stories to a coroner's inquest. Tests showed at the time of death, Cook's blood alcohol level was 0.16, which is twice the legal limit. Police at the time said that both uh, Elisa and Bertha Franklin had passed lie detector tests, although that's not really relevant, right? Jurors only took 15 minutes to rule the shooting a justifiable homicide. Really? Yes. Sam Cook's funeral is held shortly after this, and it's like a big fucking to do. It's three full days of viewing in LA.
0: Is his funeral held after the
1: trial? Well, it wasn't really even a trial. It, it was, was just, just like a. It was like, do we even prosecute? Do we even prosecute right, this? Right. Okay. And they didn't. Uh, He had a $4,000 casket that was fitted with a glass top so fans could get one last look at him. Like Snow White. Uh, Then his body is flown to Chicago where he has a big funeral in his hometown. And, you know, there was another funeral then in LA and that's where he's buried. And he had like the staple singers, Lou Rawls, Billy Preston, Ray Charles, all singing at his funeral, which is probably like the craziest funeral ever right i mean he had
0: like a real celebrity funeral
1: okay here's like some
0: barbacook
1: his wife or his widows like this is like some fucking serious fucking (laughs) bitch move on her part i told you she was also having affairs yeah so she shows up to Her husband's funeral with the bartender she was having an affair with. Wow! And he is wearing Sam's ring, rings and wristwatch to the funeral. The ones that he was were found on him. Yeah, the wristwatch that was found and like other rings. I don't think he was wearing them. I mean, that's pretty much that. But Bertha Franklin, she's kind of simultaneously hailed as this brave woman who saved, you know, this other woman who was in distress, and then other people were like. She murdered fucking Sam Cook. Right. She gets so many death threats that she Jesus. has to end up quitting that job, and she kind of goes into hiding. Oh She's my an older God. woman, by the way.
0: Right. I, I looked
1: her up. Cook's family always believed that there was some kind of cover up or evidence that had been suppressed. They never bought the official line of what had happened. Right. They think there is a conspiracy to murder Cook and that the murder took place in a completely different manner than what was presented to them in this inquest. They hired a private investigator, as I said before, and he uncovered some other kind of stuff that sort of bolsters some of the family's theories. And I'm going to get into them because there's like three or four main ones or sort of alt ti- you know, alt things that had happened, according to them. So some of the things this private investigator uncovered was that Cook had actually known Elisa Boyer beforehand and they had went on a date three weeks prior to his murder, despite the fact that numerous people had warned him about her past and that she was kind of trouble. Uh, the other sort of point of interest was that Bertha Franklin had a point thirty two registered to her. I'm sorry if I don't say that gun thing right. Is that <laughs> point thirty two or is it just a .32? 32? 32? point it says point 32 I'm sure some <laughs> gun person I just don't care and I don't know guns I
0: feel like we've always fucked up gun descriptions on the right. show and so far we've never had anyone angrily correct us Good
1: don't do it <laughs> So and Sam Cook was killed with a 22 The the obviously there's a mismatch in the gun that she was registered right. and the one that killed him so, so that's like hey what the hell So another sort of crazy piece of evidence comes from the singer Edda James who revealed in her autobiography Rage to Survive that she viewed Cook's body after he was um, murdered and that his body was so badly beaten his head was decapitated from his shoulders, oh. his hands were broken and crushed, his nose was sort of smushed in and like completely smashed and he had a huge bump on his, uh, a, like a two-inch bump on his, uh, his forehead these injuries, according to her, were never explained, and everyone is like, well, how could a 55-year-old woman inflict those kind of wounds onto a
0: 33-year-old and man? And is that defensive? Right.
1: Now, there is a famous of his, sort of infamous photo of him when he's dead, and he doesn't look beaten in that picture.
0: Right. So Or decapitated.
1: I mean, decapitated is pretty obvious, right? Right. Like, that's usually something you're going to notice. At least I can only speak for myself. (laughs) That would stand out for me. Right. So, I mean, who knows? That's just her opinion or what she says she saw. And then we have this photo evidence that contradicts what she says. Right. So here are the three kind of main three, the main theories about how these people think Sam actually died and then there's one that's kind of like a... I'm only giving it a half theory status. Right. Uh, the first one is that Elisa Boyer and Bertha Franklin knew each other and were working together to rob Johns and that this was a scam, that they were going to rob Sam Cook and who knows how many people they supposedly did it. Like She'd pick these guys up, bring them to this Hacienda Hotel, and together they would kind of scam these guys somehow. Obviously, this is sort of based on a lot of the inconsistencies in Elisa's testimony, So she testified that she met Sam at a Hollywood dinner party and that he sang a song at the party. There was no mention of Martoni's or PJ's, so that's like a lie or, I don't know, she she somehow completely fucked that up. So she's
0: just, I mean, she was drinking, wasn't she? I guess. There's no
1: record of how much alcohol she had drank. She said she was kidnapped by Sam and couldn't escape because the car was going too fast. But then obviously, like I pointed out before, he goes into the motel to pay. Like there was a lot of opportunity for her to escape if she wanted to. I mean, we all know that in those circumstances, sometimes you're too scared to run. But at the time that was definitely something people thought was suspicious. Like the fact that she did not run. Obviously we know a little more now. She didn't yell or run for help. Um, And then I think I mentioned the, uh, if he wanted to rape her, why did he register under his real name? Why did he, leave her alone with his clothes? Why did he go to the bathroom? Like if he really had this sinister motive, people questioned whatever, but he was also really drunk. Right. (laughs) So, I mean, he could have been very dangerous and planning on having sex with her, which would be rape. But in his mind, everything might've been really normal if he was literally probably blackout drunk. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, There was also the wad of cash that they never found. Like the family was very adamant that something happened to that money, but no one, it wasn't on her. Like it wasn't on him. She didn't have anything more than $20 in her purse. And that's why I think they sort of started thinking that Bertha maybe had taken the money. Like you go do this. I have the cash. Like, right. So nothing is very concrete here, but this is just sort of the speculation people made about certain things. Um, another thing that added to all of this was a month after Sam's murder, Elisa was arrested for prostitution.
0: So they probably used that against her. Well, to the family did. Yeah, using... it was kind
1: of like, see, she is a prostitute. Like, uh, and and I mentioned before, the hacienda Motel was known for that kind of thing. Like, that's right. where people would bring their johns to fuck them, etc. I mean who knows it could just be that he took her there maybe he was hiring her and he was going to pay for her right and it just turned into this shit show by the way bertha franklin also revealed after the fact to have been an ex-madam and she had her own sort of criminal really sort of
0: record as well so they're like oh that's very convenient
1: yeah so it's like no evidence really but just people trying to put these other things together. interesting
0: circumstances
1: Uh, According to one of Sam's friends who has the amazing name, Bumps Blackwell.
0: That is amazing. (laughs) Sam
1: did prefer the company of sex workers. He said Sam would walk past a good girl to get to a whore. That's what
0: Bumps said? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) That's kind of hot. (laughs) I'm grateful for all the guys who walked past the good girl and went straight to me.
1: I know. I mean, come on. I, I'm, I'm not, honestly not quite sure if that's an insult or. A right, I'm like, well, what, what are you talking about? If Mom-? I
0: say it's an insult, I'm just dragging myself. According
1: to Bobby Womack, who was working for Sam as a backup singer at the time, uh, he said a $500 high hooker would do what you needed, no questions asked, and that was something that appealed to Sam. His family, in particular, really don't like that he was with sex worker. Like they hate the idea. They're, they're definitely of the mind, like, why would he? be with a sex worker when he could have any woman he wanted, that kind of naive, like, whatever. According to his sister, my brother was first class all the way. He would not check into a $3 night motel. That wasn't his style. See, these people have no idea how things are hot, (laughs) right? Like, I mean, to Sam's credit, he didn't have a problem with it. Like, as I said, he proudly signed his name. And I I have no problem with people who go
0: to sex motels. I don't either. Uh,
1: So it's mostly his family who just don't like that theory that he was in the know of anything. Like, they do like it better that he was being scammed somehow. Right. You know what I mean? And I can understand that. Yeah. I mean, his family wants to, you know, give him a noble death. And their other theory that kind of even pushes that noble death even more is that he was killed because of his active role in the civil rights movement. Some people thought it was like sort of this entertainment business racist plot to get rid of these like people causing trouble in the industry. And he was a popular
0: guy and people were listening to what he he had to say.
1: Well, not only was he like a rising star, but as I said, he really wanted to be a mogul. Right. So I'm sure these old like white guys who were in charge at the time were like, uh, no, um, and he had made some enemies because he was a powerful star. He probably got away with more than another person would have at the time. His desire to kind of also record more politically relevant music was sort of interesting, a, a thing that people didn't like. And then so they kind of think this West Coast mafia, like a lot of these music, music moguls are connected to the mob somehow, that they killed him. The LAPD covered up the crime And that uh, some of the other things that sort of led to it was he supported Malcolm X after he left or he he split with Elijah Muhammad. And that was he like a target of the Nation of Islam as well. Like the other thing that sort of mob related was that his former manager, a man named Alan Klein, had sort of signed this agreement with Sam to create some limited liability corporation so that Sam could kind of get spared some IRS scrutiny. So they had done some kind of dubious deal, like a shelter, attack shelter or something like that. Right. And that Klein was sort of the beneficiary of all of this publishing. If Sam died. Um, oh, so after Sam dies, Barbara, his widow actually does end up selling this work to Klein. So Klein did end up getting it, but he bought it from the wife, but it's still kind of like, well, he wouldn't have been able to buy it if Sam didn't die. So that's sort of another thing that people kind of point to as a possibility. And then the last one that's I'm giving the half conspiracy is that Barbara herself sort of orchestrated the whole setup because she was pissed off at Sam and his cheating ways. And she contracted a mafia hit on Sam.
0: There are a lot of theories about this. I know. <laughs> With something that seemingly is so cut and dry, there are a lot of. Right. Cause it's like people want to.
1: I don't know. Yeah, I mean, a lot of famous murders, I think, do have these conspiracies because more people are like thinking about them and everyone has their image of what they want this person to be.
0: Well, and especially like you brought up before, this was a politically active person during the civil rights era. So it isn't outside of the realm of possibility that there could have been a hit on him. Right.
1: So as I mentioned before, Bertha Franklin got a lot of death threats after the murder of Sam Cooke. She ended up leaving her hotel job. She does end up suing Cook's estate, citing physical injuries and mental anguish suffered as a result of his attack. She filed a lawsuit suing for $200,000 in compensatory and punitive damages. Sam Cook's widow actually countersued Franklin on behalf of his estate, seeking $7,000 in damages to cover his funeral expenses. Wow, and it's like a shit show.
0: Don't they have enough money to pay for it?
1: Well, it, it in, in the end, the jury did rule in favor of Franklin, and they settled for three hundred. Uh, sorry, thirty thousand okay. dollars in damages. Now, the other interesting thing is Bertha. She ends up dying eighteen months after Sam. Really? Yeah. And so she's like in her late fifties, but she's not like elderly. No, no, not at all. You know, but who knows. I only saw that one place, but I'm just mentioning it because I didn't see anything else that happened to her outside of the lawsuits. But I guess, I don't know, that ties it up, at least. Wow. Uh, in 1979, Elisa Boyer was found guilty of second-degree murder in the what? shooting death of her boyfriend. What? So she does another murder or is involved in another crime, and this time she's the one. Another fun fact is... Is that it is rumored that Dennis Wilson from the Beach Boys bought Cook's red Ferrari because he was a huge fan of Sam Cook. And supposedly he would drive it all around L.A. listening to Sam Cook's records. And obviously Dennis Wilson had a tragic end, too, that we'll probably cover in an episode at some point. So. Okay, so here's my juicy little fucking bitch, like bit that I have to get to because this blew my fucking mind. Okay, I kind of hinted at it to Rachel earlier, but I didn't. And I was nervous. Yeah. Okay, so three months after Sam Cook dies, his wife Barbara Campbell marries 21 year old Bobby Womack. What? Who is 10 years? uh, She's 10 years older than him at the time. Uh. This was like a huge fucking scandal when it happened. And Womack found himself kind of ostracized from the soul music world for a bit, for a few years at least. Like he was sort of like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> like you marry your, your friends, mentor dies, is right. murdered and you marry his wife. And just with her history, it's like, how long was this going on? Like, what the hell? Even Womack's brothers turned against him and he was beaten up by Sam's brother after oh the God. fact. I mean, it got to like a messy thing i mean according to him he initially went to barbara's side to console her following cook's death and then his dick fell inside well, i mean it's a tale as old as
0: time i mean you're uh, consoling a widow honestly that isn't that weird because i feel like grief does make people horny sometimes right. i mean i don't doubt it but clearly they were horny i uh, fell i fell into some horrible dick after one of my best friends committed suicide, you remember? Yeah, I do remember. Oh my God. One of the worst things, yeah. decisions ever. Don't
1: ever do grief dick. It, grief dick is never a good you idea. You know what?
0: It sounds like a good idea. It sounds like it's going to take all the pain away. It's and not it, going to fill the hole. It is, <laughs> that literally didn't fill the hole.
1: No. See, Rachel learned her lesson the hard way. Yeah. I mean, not the hard way. It wasn't that hard. No. You couldn't pound hard enough with that thing. <laughs> <laughs> There's no pound enough to make up for it. Okay. So in 1970, Bobby and Barbara divorced after she found out he was having an affair with her 18 year old stepdaughter, Linda. No. Who, his 18 year old stepdaughter, Linda, who is her daughter with Sam
0: Cook. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Sorry. It was his stepdaughter. It it's became. His stepdaughter. It became Bobby Womack's stepdaughter. She,
1: yes. This woman. Oh, my God. So he was having an affair with Sam Cook and Barbara's daughter, his stepdaughter, who was 18 years old at the time. No. When Barbara caught them She like caught them She confronts Bobby Womack with a gun And shoots at him Sorry Okay I mean can you even imagine the story I need to find more details on this It's so Gloria Graham It is Like the whole thing is very Gloria Graham And I
0: I was telling Desi She was like oh I have a juicy story about Bobby Womack And I was like oh god I hope it's not terrible Because I love Bobby Womack Yeah And And she's she's like buckle up (laughs) So
1: he has, like, more crazy stuff. I'm not going to get too much into it because I do feel like maybe he's an amazing episode waiting to happen down the line. But their son together, Barbara and Bobby Womack, he commits suicide in 1986. <gasps> His name is Vincent. He was only 21. So they had a kid together? They had a kid together. who After committed, the affair? I think it was, like, right before the affair. And then sam cook and barbara campbell's daughter linda the one he had an affair with ends up marrying his brother cecil wait wait on. wait
0: wait rewind We need like a family tree <laughs> breakdown here so
1: okay linda is the stepdaughter bobby Walmeck had an affair with yes right she ends up marrying bobby Walmeck's brother is that like her uncle her i her step uncle she ends up marrying her step uncle after having an affair with her stepfather dude get the fuck out like you got to get out of your circle especially right. when it's all family right <laughs> like come on
0: what wow. the hell that is wild they
1: actually linda and uh cecil wait so barbie and linda collaborated on a song woman's gotta have it do you know that song? bobby and linda yeah yeah so uh and then they let li- cecil and linda also team up as womack and womack i guess after they got married and they have a song called, Baby, I'm Scared of You. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you know what? I'm fucking scared of this whole family. Oh, my like, God. Like, it is insane to me that they're all fucking each other. So as I said, I feel like I'm going to stop there because I feel like we have to investigate Bobby Womack we and have his crazy ass family more because that's a lot of stuff.
0: That is wild. Okay. So that's that. That's the end. <laughs> Well, now I've completely forgotten about the Sam Cook story because all I'm thinking about is this weird ass incestuous relationship. Can you imagine? I mean, it's a lot. And how, I mean. I mean, he, Bobby, I mean, I can see he wanted to cheat with Bobby Lomack, but if it yeah. was my stepdad, it might be weird. And they weren't even that far apart in age, were they? Eighteen and how? Because Bobby was twenty one when he married Linda. Yeah, but I think that was a bit later. Okay, so because I wonder they how- were.
1: But I, that makes it worse to me because I was like, he was her stepdad for a while before oh. she was eighteen. Like,
0: yeah, that's bad. Yeah
1: so yeah that's crazy when i saw that part i was like i have to include this even though it's not directly related
0: (laughs) i just don't i mean like i really like that is something that fascinates me endlessly like how someone could find someone that they're that is in their family attractive to the point where they fuck them like i mean i have a really big family and a lot of like, my family's so big. Like, I have tons of people in my family who I'm not blood-related to. Right. But they're, I'm related to them by marriage or their step family. Right. Thinking about hooking up with someone in my family disgusts me so much the to know end. The only way I can see
1: it is if, like, you didn't grow up with them and you met them. In some other way. Yeah, like, you never met your cousin and then you meet them when you're 25 and you don't have that connection or relationship to them i could like see i could that. see
0: it then right
1: but it's still weird and i don't i mean i could see it with like cousins but i would never accept it if it was like my dad and daughter here's, some, for
0: their first here's time. something that's con- that i'll consider on topic for the facebook page if if you uh you or someone you know in your family has hooked up with another family member and you're comfortable sharing it on the Facebook page? <laughs> this is like Maury. Now our yeah. fa- our Facebook page is just going to turn into Maury. Yeah, I mean, I would be interested in hearing. I, those I would stories. be if <laughs> you're com- only if you're comfortable, or if you want to send in an, an anonymous email and we'll read it on the show next week. Yeah.
1: Okay. I think that's good. So yeah, I mean, speaking of our Facebook group, <laughs> now's the time to join. If you have a great incest story, <laughs> <laughs> you can follow us on the other social <sighs> medias, and if you want to be a patron you can go to patreon.com slash hollywood crime scene there's like a ton of bonus episodes you get for your contribution and there's a ton there already to catch up on yeah uh,
0: so yeah that's that i think wow oh and i wanted to mention uh we still have not uh received our email from our winner oh. of our last contest i forget the name of the winner but Yeah, email us. They're the one with 17 years of sobriety who wrote that lovely review for us. Yeah, hit us up. Yeah, hit us up in the next week or so. Okay. Okay, cool. Thank you. Bye. Hold up.